Hello and welcome to episode two of Cocktails and Khaki. Thank you for everyone who bothered to listen to the first one and didn't send us any kind of evil death threat type messages about how we're boring or anything. <laughs> uh, today's episode we are going to be discussing the MASH episode Out of Sight, Out of Mind. I'm Taylor and again as always I'm joined by Sabrina. Hi. So well, let's get to it. We have a couple more character introductions we have to get through today but then eventually we'll be through with all of those. Would you like to begin, or would you like me? Uh, well, since BJ is your favorite, I'll let you go ahead and, and introduce him. Aw, thank you. So, our first introduction for this episode that we're about to discuss is my absolute favorite MASH character, Captain BJ Honeycutt, or Beej, as Hawk very often refers to him as. Uh, BJ is a new surgeon that comes in following the departure of Trapper John. He's a married character who has a wife named Peg who he's actually loyal to, with one very notable exception uh, when we get there, <laughs> we'll discuss, and a daughter named Erin, um, whose age seems to fluctuate, as most things do on the show, somewhere between her being just a newborn and a three-year-old. BJ is ridiculously tall, much like Hawkeye, even taller than Hawk, and Wears size 13 shoes, as has been noted several times, as a running gag on the show that BJ's feet are huge. <laughs> he is pretty much my favorite character ever. I love him so much. He's so cute. BJ is a new playmate for Hawkeye, but he brings a different dynamic in off of what Trapper and Hawkeye had. He's a lot more um, subdued. There's a lot more to him in a different way, too. He's got... Very obvious suppressed rage issues that you see come peeking through every now and then anyway. And unfortunately, after he's been there a little while, he decides to grow the worst mustache that I've seen on television in a long time. So that's painful, but it's okay. I still love him. And he and Hawkeye are literally the marriedest. That sounds... I don't mean that romantically. I mean, they literally just act like a married couple. It's actually referred to a couple times on the show. <laughs> and he's, of course, played by Mike Farrell, who is amazing. He doesn't have a real name, as far as we know. His name is literally just BJ. There is an entire episode in which Hawkeye is attempting to discover what BJ stands for, but the closest we get to ever finding that out is that he says that he was named after his parents, B and J. Now, whether or not you believe that, up to you. That's pretty much BJ. That sounds about right. I am going to go ahead and introduce our beloved Corporal Klinger. Corporal Maxwell Q. Klinger. <clears throat> uh, he's in, he's not a regular in the first couple of seasons. He just comes and goes every once in a while. I think the end of season three is when he actually becomes a, a, a main character on the show. The big thing to know about Klinger is that he is trying to wear dresses to get out of the army. He would like a Section 8 discharge, which is a discharge for mental reasons, uh, which he never gets. And eventually, later on in the show, he gives up cross-dressing and just accepts being in the army. He wears fuzzy pink slippers, and when he tries to get away with a hang glider, which we'll discuss whenever we get to that episode, he wears a... A uh, house coat and fuzzy pink slippers. He's the new school marm, which is another episode we'll eventually get to. It's just a fantastic quote by Trapper John. He's the one character that wants to get out of Korea so bad that he wears dresses, and then when he finally gets the chance to get out of Korea, he doesn't. He stays. He marries a, a what they call a local indigenous person, which is uh, a, basically just a Korean. And instead of uh, leaving Korea at the end, because she won't leave Korea, she wants to find her family, he ends up staying, and he's the only character that ends up staying. He not only tries to get out wearing dresses, he tries to get out with notes from his mother, and in one episode, Henry reads them aloud, and, and my favorite one is, half the family's dead, the other half pregnant. One of the running jokes in the show is that he has an abnormally large nose. On here, it says, could pick up radio signals. And he is played by Jamie Farr. And Jamie Farr eventually decided that um, Klinger should stop wearing dresses because he didn't want his children to bear that burden when, he went, when they went to school. They didn't want his kids to be made fun of for him wearing dresses on MASH. So 
that is our beloved Corporal Klinger. He's he's a great character. He eventually takes over for Radar when Radar leaves. He becomes the company clerk, so. And our final character to go over today is our the new colonel that comes in following Henry's, well, not demise. He totally goes back to the States, and it's fine. Departure. And that's uh, Colonel Sherman Potter, who is adorable. Um, I say that because I just think he's precious. Uh, he has a horse named Sophie, who over the course of the show is played by like a million different horses that are all different colors and sexes. That's a fun game to play is which, which one is it now? He does have a family. He has a wife named Mildred and is one of the first Mildreds who became, is one of the first Mildreds who is consistently named and called Mildred. Even though for some reason that's one of the favorite names on this show. (laughs) The picture of Mildred on his desk is actually a picture of Harry Morgan's wife. Which is adorable. He has at least one son. He actually has a daughter, too, which we know from an episode where his son-in-law comes to the MASH. Mm-hmm. Um, he joined the Army at age of 15 and was a cavalry officer. So he's served in three wars at this point, World War One, World War Two, and is now in Korea. Uh, he has a wonderful father-daughter relationship with Margaret. He has a wonderful father relationship with most of the staff. He does a very similar thing with with uh, Klinger to what you see Henry doing with Radar, where he kind of takes him under his wing and trains him into being the company clerk. But he's our last new one. He's uh, played by Harry Morgan, who actually appears in an earlier season episode in a different role. Yeah, the season three premiere. Yeah, General Flip to Dawn. <laughs> so, but it is a different character, completely different character. <laughs> when mm-hmm. he comes on in the later seasons, in season four, actually, to be specific. So those are the three new characters that we're dealing with today in our episode. We also have two minor characters that kind of carry on through at least a decent portion of the series, and that's two nurses, uh, Nurse Abel and then uh, Nurse Kelly. And Nurse Kelly is, I do believe, the only other nurse beside Margaret that is through, that at least appears throughout the rest of the series. And she's adorable. She's adorable. And she's always Nurse Kelly. She, exactly. She is She is either not named or Nurse Kelly. She is one of the ones that keeps her name. So, I like her a lot. She's one of my favorites, actually, despite her very, very minor part. Though she does get a decent episode toward the end. She, very, she very much does. really yeah. good focus on her, so. All right. Well, today's episode is Out of Sight, Out of Mind, uh, which is... Quite literally, our cliche temporary blinded episode. <laughs> it's uh, season five, episode three, and it first aired on CBS October fifth, nineteen seventy six. So we're definitely toward the end of the run here at the time. Uh, but midway through, but yeah, yeah. But I mean, we're heading toward the end. <laughs> we are. I can it's anything second half. Anything after season four becomes like second half to me because of the change of cast. I feel I don't know why. I know that's not technically true because it's literally not even halfway in season four, but I just have that demarcation in my head. (laughs) (laughs) In this episode, Hawkeye does become temporarily blinded when he goes to fix a heating stove in in the nurse's tent, and it essentially flashes over and burns him. But I personally love the background plot in this episode a lot. (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of funny because it's a very serious and kind of somber subject that they're looking at with uh, the disabilities and kind of having to look at life from a new way. And there's Frank in the background wing a ferret again. And then there's Frank who has ingeniously as the B plot discovered that he can listen to the baseball games while they're being broadcast live, find out who's winning them, spend the day basically making bets on them. And then, when everyone listens to the replay of the games on the Armed Forces Radio Network later, he's able to reap the benefits of already knowing what's going to happen. <laughs> and, of course, our heroes can't let that stand and pretty much fake a baseball game result for Frank using the PA systems and the telephone systems to create a transmission so that he ends up getting it wrong. And I don't know why, but I love that plot so much, and I absolutely adore the sequence of them creating the baseball game. I'm a big fan of the angry mob that chases him out of post-op. <laughs> yes. 
I just really enjoy them making the sound effects and stuff. I can see that. <laughs> so, what do we want to talk about in this particular episode? There's a lot to go on, both serious themes and kind of funny things. Well, I like the fact that even though... I don't know... What what we see most of the time is when people get, get injured or have some kind of life-changing or life-threatening thing, they usually become bitter. And I like the fact that Hawkeye didn't become bitter. He kind of kept his, his spirits up. He really which does. Is, which, is a change, which is a change from a lot of things, because like, I know that I became super bitter <laughs> for a couple months. But Hawkeye, keep, Hawkeye keeps, keeps his, his humor and his wits about him. I mean, there's still a little bit of that fear there, but it's it really is more of a fear of the unknown than like an anger at being put in the position. That's true. Which is funny when you consider it, because Hawkeye is a character that is characterized by a certain amount of kind of low-simmering anger about the position he's in. That's absolutely true. I mean, like, the the Sydney quote about anger turned sideways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind, of un- it's kind of odd. It's almost like you don't expect that reaction. No, you would expect, at least I would, that that, that anger that he keeps, it's always simmering under, under the lid. That, that once he's faced with something that could ultimately end his career, um, you would think that he would, that that would just boil over. And take away his name. Yeah. <laughs> so it's probably my favorite quote from this episode. It's a very sad quote, but uh, when he looks at, at Major Overman, who is the, uh, the ophthalmologist, and asks if, he, if he'll get to keep his name. Because of the incapacitation of Hawkeye, you end up with an episode that's very strong on supporting cast. That's a good point. I, 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 I never really noticed that, but you, you're right. Um, in particular, you see a lot of, like, like, Klinger taking care of him. Like, Klinger brings him a duck call <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, in order to get some help if he needs any, because they can, of course, stay with him all the time. And think, these images of Klinger, like, walking Hawkeye around the grounds and things. That are really cute. It seems like this episode leans on the supporting characters the way Hawkeye has to lean on the supporting characters. Exactly. Which I like. I also like when uh, Klinger is escorting him to the latrine, and he says, I bet all the other couples are jealous of us. <laughs> yeah, and Klinger tells him that he looks fabulous, that he looks fabulous, but that Hawkeye looks a little frumpy in his fatigues. <laughs> There's also, in the very beginning of this episode, a really cute sequence of radar... Um, kind of pretending to be a general and yelling at people. It's beautiful. Yeah, I don't think this is the first time he's done it, though. I don't either, he's but just... I love that. I just love whenever he does that. He's faked that rank a bunch. and it, But it's always so funny because when he's yelling at people, he still stays in his, like, his character, his vocabulary and things. So he's like, you you listen here, you dumb clerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's sitting there. I love the fact that he's sitting there and he's in his pajamas with his, uh, with teddy his bear. robe on and he's holding his teddy bear. The whole time. <laughs> it is interesting that we get to see a specialist come in in this episode because we get our ophthalmologist. We do, yeah. Which is kind of an unusual thing. I mean, there's a couple episodes, there's like episodes where there's dentist or if Sydney comes in in a therapy role and things like that. But I think that's always interesting when they call someone else in. Yeah, it doesn't happen very often. They usually try to be very self-sufficient. But every once in a while, you'll get an episode where they'll bring in a specialist. Even even if it's just like a surgeon who specializes in something in particular. Another one of the sequences that's quite wonderful that I know is one of your favorites in this is when Hawkeye starts threatening and trying to beat Frank up with no vision. Yes. <laughs> I'll take you with both eyes tied behind my back, Frank. Which is just an absolutely wonderful statement. <laughs> <laughs> and as beautiful as they have to literally still pull Hawkeye away because he does actually start doing the flailing kind of, if you get hit, it's your own fault. <laughs> exactly. One of the, my favorite quote in the whole episode is right before, when everything happens and they tell him that he's, they don't know, you know, if he's going to be able to see. Hawkeye tells BJ to come and visit me a couple hundred times. And to me, that is pretty much 100% their relationship right there. Um, It's also that place where that fear that I was talking about comes out, where you see that even though he's still joking and in good humor, 
there is a legitimate fear of the unknown and what's going to happen to him. And the best way he can think of to combat that is to create this sort of comfort of his best friend. Yes, that's that's true. I mean, but I think that's just a normal... I think we just see that as a normal human reaction, because I think most people do that. Oh, yeah, I'm not saying it's it's not, but it's it also definitely says something, though, because that kind of singles out... I mean, you already know it, and there are other episodes where they make comments about how they're best friends and things like that, but it really kind of brings that home, that in this situation with all these people, that's who he wants to ground him. Yeah, and, and that that's, that's part of the reason why I, I say what I say... Uh, that that Hawkeye and Trapper are more playmates, and BJ and Hawkeye are more friends. Yeah, I think he definitely provides a kind of um, a comfort and a grounding and things that he would not have necessarily gotten from Trapper in the same way. Mm-hmm. BJ BJ's the calm to Hawkeye's storm, if you will. Pretty much. Which is funny considering the internalized uh, rage and everything within Beej. <laughs> Let's see, what else do we have to talk about today? We're trying to steer away from just telling you everything that happened in the episode. Uh, can I talk about the adorable scene between Hawkeye and Margaret? I was actually just about to ask you to bring up Margaret. Go for it. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> uh, so after Hawkeye takes, after Klinger takes uh, Hawkeye to the latrine, uh, Margaret comes in and tell, tells Klinger that Colonel Potter needs him. So Klinger says, okay, but you have to take care of Hawkeye. She says, okay. And um, so Hawkeye comes out, and he recognizes that it's her, because he can smell her perfume. And uh, she walks him to the mess tent, and the whole way, he's still hitting on her. Normal, just normal Hawkeye. Still just just hitting on her, saying after the mess tent, they should go back to her tent. (laughs) Which I love. Um, And I think by this point, I I think it amuses Margaret, no matter how, how much she lets on that it doesn't because season season five is definitely when she starts to get her major change. She's given a, she's not with Frank anymore. She just is becoming a more open and fun person. Not, not nearly as shrill as she used to be. Yeah, and that definitely comes out with her relationship with Hawkeye a lot. Yeah. I, I it's, it's them. She kind of makes him a little more serious. He kind of makes her open up more, which I love. Right after that sequence, there's um, one of the more poignant sequences in the whole episode to me is that after that happens, Hawkeye essentially ends up back in Potter's office and he starts telling them about his hometown, about talking about Crabapple Cove. You know, obviously just kind of he needs to say something, he needs to do something, you know? And But while this is going on, slowly Radar and Potter, who are in the office, are working on things, of course. And they both end up leaving him there, but he's still uh-huh. just talking to the air before he realizes they left. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I don't know. It, I'm struggling to come up with the word I want. I don't know if it speaks more about them as people or more about them as their routines. I don't think it's on purpose, obviously. I do think it has to do with routine. I think it shows something that, like, you don't think about consciously. Like, you don't consider that in a normal situation, like, because you would expect people to be able to see you leave. Yeah, you would expect that person to, or at least get up and follow you to finish what they were saying. Yeah, so I think it's... I think it's one of the times that it really occurs to Hawkeye that something is different in a way that he hasn't... Like, he knows that things are unusual. You know, he's been handed off at this point from Klinger to Margaret to BJ before he even ends up in Potter's office. Yeah. But I think it's the first time he kind of realizes he's how easy it is for him to end up on his own. I agree, because if you watch that sequence, he goes from being really happy and telling Potter about um, Crabapple Cove to them coming back and apologizing, and he's just kind of... I don't want to say defeated, but defeated is about the only word I have. And he just kind of asks Radar to take him back to post-op. And and I think that's that's one of the points where it really hits Hawkeye what life could be like if he doesn't regain his sight. Which is when he immediately, when he gets, when he asks Radar to take him back to post-op, the first thing he does is approach BJ and ask to talk to Tom, which is the other blind patient. So it's kind of like he's, 
he suddenly realizes there's someone else there that has a similar situation who he might be able to talk to. Yeah, but the difference is that they know that Tom Straw, who is our other patient, uh, who has also been blinded very similarly to Hawkeye, uh, in different ways, obviously. Uh, Hawkeye was blinded by uh, a stove exploding. Uh, Tom was uh, blinded by shrapnel to the face. So the, the, the main difference being Hawkeye can still regain his sight. They know Tom will never get his back. And I think that's why Hawkeye approaches him, though, because it's the first time that Hawkeye kind of lets himself think about what might happen if it doesn't, if his sight doesn't come back. That's a very good point. I also love that that Tom tries, right before he leaves, kind of breaks himself down and, and talks about his wife and, and what's his wife going to do. Is she still going to want him now that he's blind? And Hawkeye who I think at this point is kind of starting to feel a little sorry for himself, changes that up and, and kind of builds Tom back up. Yeah, it actually ends up, because it's Hawkeye's instinct as a doctor and just as a person to build other people up, which is, you see that in almost all the episodes. He wants other people to be happy, so he automatically starts doing that irregardless of his feelings. Yeah. And he does that a lot in the show because he often is doing faced with these soldiers who are injured that he knows are being sent right back into this line of fire that he'll probably see them again even in the match. But he's like, you're getting better. You're going to be fine. You're going to all the time, you know? Yeah. Hawkeye, I mean, everybody thinks he's all this jovial and, and fun character, but I think what a lot of people fail to realize, I don't because I do the same thing, but Hawkeye is one of these people who makes other people happy by basically telling jokes and putting himself down. It's really true. It's all a facade. It It is all just, it's all just a facade. Yeah, definitely. And after that conversation with Tom, that's when he approaches BJ and is like, uh, take me for a drive, isn't it? Yeah, and then he says, I'll, it, BJ, BJ tries to talk him out of it and he says, oh, all right, I'll drive then. And BJ finally confronts him that the reason Hawkeye won't stay still in one place is that he's trying to run away from the possibilities. Basically, and it's true, he doesn't want to sit there and think about what might happen. I mean, who does? Honestly. I wouldn't. I'd keep running at the brick wall 100 miles an hour just to not have to deal with it. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, that's one of those sequences where you see Hawkeye using BJ and actually... Like I said earlier, he's using BJ for comfort and things like that. But BJ's also a reality check for Hawkeye. Mm, he keeps him grounded. He's a big-time reality check. So that sequence is very important. And it's it's at the end of that discussion that you end up with the fight, too. <laughs> with um, Frank coming in. Is it not? I also love the fact that BJ kind of tries to keep Hawkeye in everything. In that he gets him scrubbed up and suited up and actually brings him into the OR with him. Now, Hawkeye obviously doesn't do any surgery, but he's just in there with everybody that he's usually in there with to try to give him some sense of, of normalcy. Yeah. And I think that kind of carries over into the sequences with the B-plot because after the whole thing that takes place when they're in the OR is when you get the sequence of Frank listening to the ball game and then making the fake broadcast of it, and Hawkeye is involved in that. Uh -huh. uh, you know, he still can't see. He's still in the situation he's in, but he's still there playing jokes with them like he normally would be. Yeah. He masterminded the joke. Yeah, it was his entire concept. <laughs> exactly. He was the one who came up with it when they were in the mess tent. And for that matter, in the OR, you get that sequence where Hawkeye tells BJ that the patient's bowel is nicked uh -huh. because he could smell it. Yeah. He, he even goes on an, on a monologue uh, before the bandages are removed about his heightened sense, his heightened senses, that he didn't see the rainstorm yesterday, but he heard it and he experienced the rainstorm in a way he never would had he not been blinded and he probably never will again if he gets his sight back. And then, of course, you know, since they've done the fake game, we get your favorite mob chasing Frank out of the OR. <laughs> <laughs> demanding their money. <laughs> I think my favorite part is just is just that Margaret's the one leading the mob against Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's this wonderful uh, scene after the bandages are removed and it's revealed that Hawkeye still has a sight and everybody's after 
congratulated him and then run off to chase Frank. Uh, Hawkeye and BJ walk up to the <clears throat> the window and post op, and Hawkeye looks out and he tells BJ that um, he was really lucky that he got to keep his sight, but he also got to experience what it would have been like had he not gotten them back. So he actually feels lucky that he got to experience that. And then obviously we have to have a really funny last little scene and Hawkeye pretends that his sight's gone again. Uh, So he wraps up his eyes and he uses his cane and he tries to get into the nurse's tent uh, and he tells them to just go about their business uh, and dressing and such. And that's when they realize that he's, he's lying to them. So one of the nurses throws a, a cup and he catches it instead of it hitting him or breaking, and uh, they throw him out of the tent. Which is an adorable little sequence, and is very indicative of how they think the post-reaction of the whole thing would go. You know, he's still who he is. He is. He's had his he deep, is. profound moment, but, you know, <laughs> he's still Hawk. <laughs> still Hawk, exactly. He's still, the, he's still the Hawk we all know and love. So that's per- I mean, that's pretty much the episode. It's, it's interesting. I'm personally curious and i haven't looked this up and i probably should have in the part of the preparation um when you see our notes for this there's a link under the fun facts to tv tropes because this whole temporary blinding temporary deafness type thing is a big television trope and if you click on the mash link that we put on there it'll give you a list of all the tropes in mash which is believe me a lot of fun to read through but in particular (laughs) they have some great names oh yeah but in particular, what I'm curious about and might want to look at it again is that we do consider this a trope, but how many other shows had done it at the time when MASH had? Because if you looked at the... I did look at the list very briefly, and a lot of the things that are listed under having done a similar concept are newer. And I'm wondering how many times it had been done before this. I'm wanting to say, at least off the top of my head, I'm, like, wanting to say that that it happened in an episode of I Love Lucy, but I haven't watched that show in a long time. So, I mean, I should have looked that up before we did this, but now I'm going to look it up later. (laughs) Because I'm just kind of curious. Because there's actually, I know there's at least one thing on the list of tropes that the name of the trope actually comes from M.A.S.H. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... I don't remember what it is now, of course. <laughs> that would be being too prepared and knowledgeable. Yeah, we can't have that now. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the trope was called? No, I don't. That's the thing. Uh. But uh, I know at least one of them, the namesake, is actually from MASH. So I wonder if this is something that would have been new? Or... Let me Google that. I'm actually just going to go look, because why not, right? Well, that's what I'm doing. But honestly, go look at that TV trope website. It is a lot of fun. I think her and I spent uh, probably a good hour last night just reading each other trope names. I particularly like the description of Hawkeye as chivalrous pervert. (laughs) They're not wrong, particularly in the later seasons. It says it's an absolutely standard plot for 70s action dramas. Mannix and Hawaii Five-O use it, but again... Those were after MASH. Exactly. I don't know if they were after the episode aired, but I know that they they started after MASH did. That's the question. Why do you not tell me the years on things? Because Hawaii Five-O was running in the 60s. It was, yeah. So I'm wondering. I'm just curious. I'll have to actually do this later when I have enough time to look at it. But you know, like a lot of the stuff on there is newer. Yeah, uh, Star Trek the original series uh, was before. That was 66 to 69. That's true, that was not even in the 70s. So it's definitely, there's a little bit of a cliche to it. It It is an episode, it is a trope that that was used before, but got really popular afterwards, from what I, from what I can see. But then MASH is a show that's full of tropes. The thing that makes them so good is how strongly they do it. Yeah. Not not just how strongly, but they actually are, are a TV show that are, they can also pull them off well. Because a lot of TV shows, uh, if you watch them and they try to use those tropes, don't they, they just don't work. It's, just, it's almost like they force them in. 
So would you like to go on to our next, uh, to our other topic of the episode? Yes, we shall. So our final topic today, because we're going to add a little extra segment, and hopefully we'll get to do more of these in the future too, we're going to have a little discussion about the differences between Trapper and BJ. We thought this would be a good episode to do it on because this is our first encounter with BJ on, as far as our podcast goes. So now if you've watched, if you're watching the episodes with us, regardless of what order you've seen them in, you've seen one with both characters. So let's talk about it. Of course, I'm a huge BJ person. I prefer BJ. I always will. I personally prefer BJ, but I do love Trapper. So, But there are two different, entirely different yeah, characters. characters. And it's funny because there's this... You hear people say that kind of BJ's brought in to replace Trapper, and it kind of is true, but not definitively. Not in the same way. It's not... They did not... It's very obvious that they approached the character in a different way. Yeah, they brought BJ in kind of to replace Trapper as the other surgeon in the 407 7th, but, I mean, they're two... They're complete opposites in most ways. Yes, and as you like to say, Trapper is more the playmate. Uh-huh. Uh, his relationship with Hawkeye is very lighthearted and seems uh-huh. to basically be very much based in the ideas that they keep each other amused, basically. Yeah. I also live by the the, the idea that, that Hawkeye cares more for Trapper than I think Trapper cared for Hawkeye. I agree with that, I think, very much. And I don't know if that's something that we feel because of the whole leaving without a note situation or what. But I think that even within those early seasons, when things happen, there's more of an opportunity in those early three seasons where you see situations where Hawkeye is providing comfort and empathy to Trapper and not the other way around. Uh Uh-huh. Like in Kim, at Uh the end of Kim, when he finds out that he can't keep the... um, that they can't, that he's not, Trapper's not going to be able to adopt the kid. You have that in a sequence at the end of Hawkeye kind of cheering him up and providing comfort and things like that. And I don't, is there, can you off the top of your head think of a situation similar where he's kind of approaching Hawkeye? Because it's, you know, in those early episodes, you don't, there's not a lot of that kind of drama that you get later scenes anyway. But like in, for instance, and sometimes you hear the bullet and things like that, you, what you see is you see Henry providing that to Hawkeye more so than yeah. Trap. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, he kind of comforts Hawkeye in the episode where, uh, Checkup, in, in the season three episode Checkup, where uh, Trapper thinks he's being sent home for having an ulcer. Oh, yeah. And and Hawkeye goes on and tells Trapper that he made it bearable and how much how much he helped him. And, I mean, he kind of comforts him there, but he doesn't... Not not like we would see in the later seasons of BJ comforting Hawkeye. Do you think that's actually character-based, though, or is that writing-based? Does it have to do with the fact that they're not encountering the same kind of extremely highly emotional uh, storylines that you see in later seasons? That's the question. I think that has... I think that, I think that partly has to do with it. I think it also has to do with the fact that... That Trapper John as a character is never fully flushed out. No. As a matter of fact, I will tell you right now that he was never the characterization. As much as I love BJ and say that, I think that it's also kind of unfair to judge him against Trapper in a way because Trapper never got the character development that BJ gets. No. I mean... But but I also kind of think that he might never have gotten that even if he had continued. And some of that might be the character itself. Maybe the character doesn't lend itself to development. Who knows? He obviously didn't lend himself to to the audience as well as Hawkeye did because they went from being equals to the show being basically Hawkeye with a little bit of everybody else, at least in the early couple seasons. I will say that it's some of that to me, and it, it's funny because I'm not a big... I'm not a big moral crusader type person, but some of that to me is the decision that they made in writing to cast Hawkeye on the show as being not unmarried. Mm. So what you have here is with Trapper having a wife and kids and Hawkeye not, which is not how it actually is in the books and such, it, it sets up a kind of 
moral dilemma situation there where you've got the one character who's kind of a womanizer, but you know, at least he's not hurting anyone, you know. Mm. Well, in the book, I mean, Hawkeye is married in the book, but he's also faithful to his wife in the book. Yeah, so, but that's the thing. It's, I think that kind of is part of something that puts at least some people off. I've seen that mentioned even. Yeah. And I think that that's, I don't want to say the full reason. I, I've read somewhere, I think it was, I think it was a Tumblr post talking about um, Hawkeye and his disdain for marriage and whether or not that disdain came from watching people like Trapper and Henry consistently cheat on their wives. You know, what's the point in having a marriage if you're not going to be faithful to that person? Which he's absolutely not through the entire thing. And we never know that if he, if he went back and was... Yeah, and I mean, it's... It's obvious he cares very deeply for his children. Very much so. He is an excellent father. But, and he obviously still, regardless of what he's doing, he and his wife have um, at least a decent relationship because you see her being so completely accepting of the idea of them taking in a Korean child. Mm hmm But you don't really ever get a feel for that. However, when BJ comes on, everything with BJ is centered on that home life. Because I think that that home life is BJ's touchstone. It's the one thing that keeps him leveled. He's that one. It's that one thing he can hold on to is that eventually he'll get back, and he'll have a wife there that loves him, and cherishes him, and and a child that he can that he can watch grow up. And I think that you really see Hawkeye's admiration in that. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, in where there's a will, there's a war. The fact, his final decision when he's writing his will to leave for BJ, instead to leave a gift for Aaron, his daughter. Yeah, and not only to leave her a gift, but to leave her a list of all the soldiers that BJ operated on and kept alive while he was in Korea. So that she understood why he had to go. And I think that that kind of, I think that leads to more respect in Hawkeye's eyes. I think I think that entire episode gives us a view on what Hawkeye actually thinks of his family, essentially. Because Hawkeye's actually a very family-driven character. He very much is, yeah. I mean, because even for most of the first seasons, everything is framed in what he's telling his father. Yeah, there are quite a few episodes where he's it's basically a letter or something like that home to his father. And it's kind of funny because you're used to thinking about him as the character that, you know, because at first he really is kind of a cat at first. Uh But he's actually a very family-centric person who I think is kind of put out in that situation because of where he is at the time, the way things are. It kind of changes how he reacts to things. And you you also get to meet um, Carly, his, who he had a lot. Yeah, his ex-girlfriend. Yeah who he definitely had a long-term relationship with, and you kind of... And she left him because she said that he would never be dedicated to anything but medicine. And I think that maybe young Hawkeye may have felt that way, but if you look at Hawkeye in the later seasons, I would like to think that that could be different, that he could love something as much as he loved medicine. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, he also, because of the situation he's in, he kind of sees the the darker side of, of his career and so to speak. He even perpetuates part of it. Look at preventative medicine. Oh, that episode is just painful. And that's and that's another thing. That's another thing. That episode compared to the episode where they did the white gold, which is the episode they did the same thing to Colonel Flag. Hawkeye and Trapper removed Colonel Flag's appendix to get the penicillin back. And there was no repercussions and no talks and no that was the wrong thing to do. But look Four seasons later at preventative medicine and Hawkeye is torn up about taking that, that healthy appendix out and then BJ chastises him for doing it. Yeah, and that's mainly BJ's influence right there on Hawkeye's character. Yeah. Which, as we found out yesterday, was largely Mike Farrell's doing, was it not? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, Mike Farrell decided that, that BJ wouldn't let that go. So, Which makes perfect uh, sense to me, and also, I think, is an amazing example of an actor who's got a feel for their character. Yeah. And and, and a show that will allow the actors to have their kind of say in that. Oh, yeah, that's what we've discussed in our previous episode, was that the as things go later, into the later seasons, you start to see these actors who are then given a little bit more free reign in their own character development. Uh-huh. 
and apparently preventive medicine was originally kind of supposed to just be the same as the flag episode until Mike Farrell comes in and says, there's no way he would do this. And as soon as I guess you present BJ's dissenting opinion about the whole thing, that's where you get that conflict of interest within Hawkeye's mind about something that he's done before with no problem. Yeah, but did, but did, did him and BJ have that discussion before he's scrubbing up in the room and Hawkeye explains how horrible he feels about doing it, but he feels like it's the only thing he can do? Um, I can't, I can't remember. I can't either. I don't remember now. You would think. I, I took a a history of ethics course and we spent an entire day doing nothing but discussing this episode and you would think that I would remember that. Well, I mean, Hawkeye still already had some reservations about the whole thing, but of course his character's changed at this point already. Yeah, he had reservations about it, but he didn't the first time they did it. But let's face it, if Trapper had still been there, Trapper would have been like, I don't worry about it. That's true. It would have went off the way that the way the episode was originally had been. Meanwhile, BJ's like, I took an oath. Yeah, there's that. That's nothing against Trapper John as a character, and and I don't want it to come across as, as us saying that. It's just the way the show was geared when he was in there. Now, things may have changed because season three is about the time when things started to change. We started getting more serious plot lines. We started getting a little more in depth with our characters. But I just think that the playfulness that they had in the first couple of seasons might have continued on. Yeah, I don't... It's really hard for me to imagine them taking Trapper and changing his character that much. I agree. Even if there was a character development, if he was given more time, I still don't think that he would have had a 360 and been like, oh, well, now I'm going to be completely loyal to my wife and I'm going to have these particular moral principles that never have really played into my thoughts before, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and I think if that would have happened, I think we, I think the audience probably would have had a lot of problem with it. Oh, definitely. Which is one of the reasons that I think that the show survived so well in a way is because of that that cast turnover. I don't mean to say that getting, you know, Rain Rogers leaving was a good thing or anything like that. I just mean that because they lucked out with what they brought in to replace their cast turnover, that's what helped strengthen the show. Absolutely. You know... I vehemently miss McLean Stevens, but... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Colonel Colonel Blake was was my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) But bringing in Potter is what strengthened those storylines and the situations where there's more serious episodes and more developed things toward the end. Well, yeah, I mean, and we were talking about... um, Earlier, we were talking about father... He played a very fatherly role. And we were talking about where there's a will, there's a war, and and what he leaves to Potter because Potter reminds him a lot of his of his own father as he leaves him the copy of the Last of the Mohicans, which is where Hawkeye's nickname comes from, the nickname that his father gave him. His father also gave him the copy of that book, and that's what he leaves to Colonel Potter because he reminds him so much of his father, and it makes it a little bit easier being away from him. And that's a real tear jerky moment. <laughs> That entire episode is a real tear-jerky <laughs> episode, and it's one of my favorites. Of course, but I just... And it's it's another kind of moment that you see echoed in the in Goodbye, Farewell, and Amen when BJ and, and Hawk actually salute him. Yeah. There's a the respect there. Yeah, because he, he never really saluted anybody, at least not properly. He never really gave proper salutes. He would give them, like, a, like a really offhanded horrible one but no real salute to anybody it seems but potter because he respected him so much and it's funny too because you kind of i don't know if it's because you have a new person coming in after henry or if it's because you've seen you've seen harry morgan before in that character of the overly stringent general but when he first gets there there's this little bit of fear that he's going to go into this place as a regular army person and see this like disarray and clamp down on it but instead he completely embraces it well he kind of does clamp down on it at least until after surgery and he watches them work and they watch him work and then they kind of get this mutual respect for each other as doctors and then they go to the swamp and get drunk and then I think we finally see Potter understanding how the 4077 acts and why they act that way when he comes in and Klinger walks in and he's just like in his dress and it's just completely normal. And he compliments his clothes. He does. <laughs> I love when he compliments Klinger's dress because I think that's the 
point where you know immediately that this is going to work. Mm-hmm. I think I think the character change, while I miss Trapper, while I miss Blake, works out well for the show. Even even for the characters themselves, I think as much as Radar liked and respected Trapper, I I, I think he feels more at ease with BJ because I think he, I think he sees BJ respecting him like Hawkeye does, and I don't know if he feels that way about Trapper. Yeah, um, a lot of the ribbing of Radar that goes on, I mean, as much as Hawkeye gets into it playfully, a lot of it is spurred by Trapper originally. It seems that way, yeah. Or he's literally teasing. It's more like Trapper's actually teasing him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Hawkeye's just kind of, you know, that kind of a personality, jokey personality. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. And I, I think it, it definitely changes. Because BJ is, it, BJ is actually more laid back than Hawkeye is. Yeah, he is, which is um, interesting. But he's kind of an un... You know, he has so much more depth to him as a character, even just coming in. And you you see that when, like in uh, Dear Sigmund, mm-hmm. where you have this kind of outsider perspective where you have Sidney coming in and kind of talking about what he knows about these people. And he's confused by BJ's existence there for a while. <laughs> and as he kind of slowly realizes that BJ's the one masterminding all these little plots and pranks and things he kind of realizes what he's all about and that there's this depth to him that is not expressed in his general laid-back, relaxed manner. Yeah, I can see that. I think the other thing we notice is that it seems like the pranks played on Frank get a lot more easygoing. Oh, they definitely do, and it makes way for when Charles comes in because when Charles comes in, you suddenly have a situation where there's just they're teasing him and they're playing pranks on him, but he's kind of more of an equal. It's as a, a giving as good as he gets type of situation, whereas Frank was really kind of a bullying situation, particularly during Trapper's tenure. As annoying as he is, <laughs> I'm not saying that that Frank didn't bring it upon himself, and that either party is in the wrong or in the right in the situation, but. It just seems like it's more good-natured, and I think BJ kind of brings Hawkeye back and keeps him from going as mean and as, as hateful as as they were during the, the, the Trapper era. Which is kind of funny because, you know, we were just discussing how Trapper is more the playmate, but at the same time, there's a darker tone to the stuff they do to Frank originally compared to what happens when BJ gets there. Not just not just Frank. I mean, everybody they play a prank on. Particularly Frank and Margaret. And not that they don't bring it upon themselves, because in the first couple of seasons, much as I love her, she was just a royal bitch through the first three seasons of that show. But it just, it seems like it gets dialed back a lot when it's just Hawkeye and BJ. And they also, and they also treat... Frank in general nicer. There's the episode where they're told to to be nice to Frank and they take in drinking and, you know. Mm -hmm. That's... It's hard for me to imagine that happening with Trap. Well, and I don't know how much of it is Trapper influence on everything or how much it is Hawkeye's influence on Trapper because if you remember in that episode where they're working straight shifts in the OR and uh, Frank says that it was fine the first couple weeks before Hawkeye got there... That they got along fine? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of that was, was whose influence on who, you know what I mean? kind of wonder if maybe Trapper wasn't bothering Frank because he didn't have anyone to help to kind of commiserate with about it. Exactly. Was he nice to Frank in the beginning because Frank was all he had, or was he just looking for somebody to torment Frank with him? That's kind of an interesting thing. I would never, I never really thought about that. For. But you're right, he does mention that they got along. Of course, Trapper says that that was a wasted... That was a wasted two, two weeks. weeks. Three weeks. There's definitely some big differences between the two, and they both have strengths and weaknesses um, as characters, and, and it kind of comes down to preference, I think, really more than anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I love them both. I'll pick BJ because a lot more of my favorite episodes are from the later series, later seasons. But, I mean, I still love episodes with Trapper John in them, too. I also have a weakness for Mike Farrell and kids. <laughs> well, I mean, they're both really good with children. That's true. They actually both are. <laughs> I mean, for whatever you have to say about Trapper as a husband, he's an excellent father. But, uh, but BJ reading bedtime stories gives me life. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. 
Oh. I've done a very good job of not just talking about how adorable he is, so. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Super proud. And I'm, 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 proud of, I'm proud of both of us for not making this two hours of Margaret discussion again. <laughs> that was a very in-depth and well-placed discussion. Can't help ourselves sometimes. Listen, I didn't go... You should be proud of me because I didn't gush on and on about Mar- about Margaret and Hawkeye uh, in the episode. So <laughs> that, take, that took every fiber of my being, by the way. We've now reached the self-congratulatory part of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> in which we congratulate ourselves on doing well and being consummate professionals. <laughs> and not going on and on about our ships or our favorite characters <laughs> or the whatnot. I th- Go us! I know, right? But I think that I think that might mean that we've reached the end. Honestly, though. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's uh, see what episode we're gonna have next. Yes, pull up the generator. I have it up. I have one to two fifty, and I'm gonna hit it three times. Are you ready? Yep. One, two, three. <clears throat> Our next episode is. It is overall episode 93, which I believe is in season four. Let me look. Our next episode will be episode 93. You're going to love this. Uh Uh-oh. It's the Novocaine Mutiny. Yes! Yay! (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Okay. So our next episode will be season four, episode 20, the Novocaine. Episode 21. It's technically episode 20 because this counts Welcome to Korea as two episodes. Okay. But it is actually episode 20. The Novocaine. Well, yeah. I'll just go with that. The Novocaine Mutiny. There will be dress uniforms and there will be extremely self-righteous Frank and I am extremely excited about it. But yeah, that will be our next episode. Um, which we will, depending on when we get this one out, uh, we'll record it the week after this one's put out. Because uh, that's how we're going to try to do it, at least for a little while. Uh, is we're going to try to put one out, record the following week, and get the other one out the next week. So have one out every other week. We'll see how well we do at that. We've already taken quite a while to get this one, but that's okay. As always, you can catch us on Twitter. Uh, I mean, Tumblr. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter, too. It's uh, Cocktails and KH1, I do believe, is our Twitter. You can email us, uh, cocktailsandkhaki at gmail.com. We also have a blogger that I kind of only use to make the RSS feed for the podcast, which we also have one of those now, so you can subscribe to us using any of your podcast apps. And hopefully iTunes will approve us soon, so we'll have an iTunes feed. Yeah. Uh, I have an Android phone, so I actually use uh, Podcast Addict, and it works just fine. Uh, just pulls the episodes perfectly. Uh, but it will come up a MASH podcast, and I'm not entirely sure why. But that's something I'll have to work on later. All right, well, thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking to you again.